if you don't have your ideal birth, it doesn't mean you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong, or it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Um, but uh, if you do have the birth you want, it doesn't necessarily mean you did something right either. I feel like a lot of it, there's a certain element that's just out of your control, and I think that's really hard. That was hard for me to deal with, and I think that's hard for anyone to deal with, um, because you just have to surrender to it to a degree and just. You know, be happy with, with what didn't go right, but don't beat yourself up with about what didn't go right. And Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as the Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hi friends, I'm so excited today to be having a conversation with one of my friends, Melissa. Melissa Venturuzzo is a registered physiotherapist who's worked in Toronto for the past 11 years. She has advanced training in musculoskeletal therapy and enjoys using those skills to help her patients feel better. She's a busy mom of three, loves to bake, and is dying to get back to playing the piano once her home reno is complete. <laughs> Hi, Melissa. How Hi. are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you on here today. Same here. Um, so, you know, a little bit of backstory, Melissa and I have known each other for years and we actually worked together in, uh, in a clinic in Midtown Toronto. Um, and she's one of the best therapists that I know and one of the (laughs) sweetest people that I know as well. So I'm really, really pumped to have you on here today, um, chatting all about, you know, you and your journey and your experience. Um, so why don't you start by telling, uh, the listeners a little bit about you and your journey, um, into motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, um, so I, first of all, started having kids a little later in life, which is fine because, you know, just the way things worked out, um, I got my training, like my education and my training completed first, which was great. Um, and um, had my first child about, well, four years ago now, she just turned four. Um, oh, yeah, exciting. She turns four two weeks ago. And uh, leading up to that, the birth, um, I was trying to do everything I could to have the birth that I wanted because, you know, the idea of birth can be scary. So you figure, okay, I'm going to try to Mm -hmm. control as many factors as I can. Um, And I did have some pre-existing like low back issues. um, So I wanted to be extra careful. So I was doing some pelvic exercises um, and... um, I ended up going with an OB. I was a little too afraid, I think, to go with a midwife. I don't think, I didn't feel brave enough. So I Mm. stuck with what I knew. So I I found an OB that people highly recommended. And I thought this is going to be great. You know, as a physio, I thought, okay, you know, my patients, I love it when my patients come to me prepared and have questions and have some knowledge, (laughs) right? So I came there and I was trying to tell her about my low back and what does she have any recommendations and, you know, about, you know, preparing for the birth and you know positions that you should push in and she didn't she was not helpful at all she just said yep whatever you're doing 
just keep doing it like in terms of my um the, the exercises, exercises I have. yeah and I asked about positions and she said well you know if you have an epidural then that's not none of that's gonna work anyway and I thought okay <laughs> so she wasn't very helpful and I thought okay well I guess it's up to me I'll thank goodness I'm a physio and I know about some of this stuff and I have connections with pelvic physios so I thought all right I will just do it on my own and uh, right. and I did what I could and I Ended up doing um, a program called Hypno Babies. I think it's a version of hypnobirthing. Birthing, oh, okay. Right. I and, thought it was uh, the same thing, but I guess no, that's true. Hypnobirthing is like a separate term, and then Hypno Babies is separate. Yeah, I think hypnobirthing is first or came first, um, and I think there's similarities. I don't remember the exact differences, but basically, it was a lot of visualization and breathing, and you know, trying to, I guess, you know, work through the pain. Um, and there were videos, oh, uh, I'm sorry, audio, um, I guess, audio tapes that you would listen to or clips, which were great. They were so relaxing. I I, I, used, I usually would fall asleep to them. And they said, oh, that's a good sign. I'm like, great. You know, I'm going to, you know, somehow conquer this pain and, and all that stuff. And I had a birth plan and um, which included, I laugh now because it didn't end up that way at all, but uh, it included, oh, you know, lower, um, low lights and soft soft voices like basically let's try to keep this a, a calm environment for me and uh and you know because I wanted to have a natural birth I didn't I wanted to try to not have the epidural because I thought if anyone can do it I could right other women have achieved this so why can't I and uh and I didn't want you know any sort of wanted to try to avoid any tearing or episiotomies Anyway, and I figured it was doable, you know, um, so for me, um, so uh, approaching the birth, you know, towards the end, I was trying to keep calm and, and uh, the day that it, it all started or that night, it was um, my, my water broke very dramatically, um, like they <laughs> like in the movies, right? <laughs> very dramatically. And then within minutes, I had um, like 10 out of 10 pain uh, uh the contractions were very painful and and a minute apart like wow it went from zero to 100 like within minutes and I remember panicking a little bit and try and I tried to do my breathing and visualize my safe place I think that's what they called it and it, none of it was working even my husband was like you know remember your safe place and yeah I forget, I, I, I'm like I can't I, it's not working I'm like I almost got mad at him but I'm like it's not working be quiet you know it's yeah, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it was really really dramatic and intense and by the time we got to the hospitals and so much pain with, with barely wait was this the time that you were camping no that's that's the second one I will get okay. to that story okay yeah <laughs> so this, so this was this is the first this is my first one and this uh, was you were at home when this happened this was at home it was at 11 okay. o'clock at night when it all okay started and then um by the time we got to the hospital uh, I was begging for the epidural and I thought, okay, that's it. You know, I, 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 I give up, I'll take the epidural. But then from there, it took a whole hour for the anesthesiologist to show up because wow. he was busy with other people. So for an hour, <laughs> I was just oh in like, gosh. it just felt endless, uh, the pain. And, uh, and finally the, you know, the, the anesthesiologist came in and gave me the epidural and it was instant relief. And I was so grateful but then from then, like everything kind of uh, reality or set in for me and, and or sunk in and I realized, oh, so I'm not going to be able to, I started asking, can I, can I still 
you know, get try hands and knees or squatting or any side pushing. Different position. Yeah. yeah. Cause, and they said, cause I could still sort of, I could still move my legs, which is weird. I could still, I, oh, feel, I didn't know that. Yeah. The pain went away, but I was still able to move my legs. And they said, no, it's a liability. You could fall off the bed. And I'm like, well, right. Rails. Like, you know, so there was absolutely no other option than being on my back and being in that typical position, which I was trying every, everything possible to avoid. And then, now just, you know, yeah. for our listeners, yes. that position has just been shown the, I forget what the name is called now, the name mm-hmm. escapes me, but like lying on your back, legs and stirrups, it's just been shown to be not the most like effective pushing position That's and right. can lead to more tearing, That's which right. is why, you know, we try to avoid it if possible. Mm-hmm. And so Melissa knew all this going in. Yes. So that's why you were like, okay, I know this isn't the best position. So yes. can I try something else? That's right. Um, and there's just right. no give. That's right. So um, yeah, you can't use gravity. You can't really bear down. I mean, think about it. You, you, know, you wouldn't go to the washroom, like do a number two on your back, right? You want to get up. And I had <laughs> that so urge to get up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the pushing itself, like, you know, they, I was trained, I, I had trained how to push and, and instead it turned into that one, two, three, hold your breath and, you know, bear down as hard as you, as you can. And I, and I could fa- feel my face going red. I'm like, this is not what I wanted at all. This is exactly yeah. what I did not want to do. And I was so, I remember being so angry um during most of it and uh and then in the end you know she got stuck so I had to have an episiotomy which again was something I I had wanted to avoid um anyways she came out she was beautiful it's all great you know um but uh yeah I was in a lot of pain from the episiotomy uh for at least two weeks and that's fine you know it took you know that's that's a major um intervention so you know that that took you know the tissue healing needs time so then and so that that makes sense but at the time I was just in so much pain and just so uncomfortable couldn't sit properly had to have the donut I hope I'm not scaring any moms out there (laughs) or moms to be by telling this stuff um but um yeah it was just it was just a hard time and then breastfeeding was challenging too because I was getting differing advice from different um uh, lactation consultants one of them I think the one that really threw me off was because I was concerned that she was she wasn't getting enough milk because she was feeding so often, and I don't think I was really educated properly on what to expect with that because they're they're, they're going to be attached to you nonstop for the first few weeks, right? And I just thought, oh my gosh, she's not getting enough milk. And then you know, one consultant told me, well, maybe you're not getting enough, and you need to start pumping after every single feed. And that would have been like eight times a day or throughout the night. And I tried keeping up with it. And it didn't work out, just added to the stress. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I just, and, and the pain, you know, and all in the hormones and the hot flashes and all that stuff. So I ended up like quitting breastfeeding at three weeks because I just, you know, I was just so stressed out by all of it. So it was one less thing to worry about. Looking back now, I know now that it was fine. And I just, if I was just told, just keep putting her on the boob or don't worry about pumping. Like, you know, you don't need to pump. And I had enough milk and looking back, I realize now, but I, um, it was just overwhelming and I didn't have enough information and I tried seeking it out and I just wasn't getting the right info. I don't think for me. So anyway, and I think for a long time I had a lot of resentment about the whole experience and how, you know, especially hearing about other people's experiences and how, you know, they were able to achieve what I I couldn't. So I felt like I did something wrong and I didn't, Oh damn it. I should have had a midwife like, you know, and right. right. That was my fault for not having, you know, being brave enough to, to do that. So anyway, um, uh, with my second birth, 
well, he was unplanned. So he was a bit of a surprise. So five months in, like my daughter was five months and I found out we were pregnant again and kind of panicked. I'm like, really? I was, I'm still kind of getting over what just happened. You're like still in shock. <laughs> still in shock, right? Or I just got in the hang of it because I'm, thankfully she started sleeping through the night at two months. It's not, it's not even like six weeks. So thank God, you know, that which is like unheard of. Right? right. I remember when you told me that I yes. was like, and then I had my daughter and I was like, oh yeah, like it'll be a few weeks. And right. It was like over a year. And I was like. <laughs> right. So thank God. That was a blessing. I think I deserved that after all. That yeah. I was going to say your, <laughs> the world was like, all right, we'll give you this gift. Yeah. Right. This unicorn baby, apparently that's what they're called. Um, and uh, so the second time, you know, for the second time I said, screw it. I'm not planning anything. I'm not trying that hypno baby stuff. I'm not going to do anything because apparently whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And right. And. Although I say that, but then I also, well, I went into it, I went back to that OB and I figured, all right, and she, she was her, the same usual self, like not like, you know, rude or, or incorrect, but just, you know, just very short answers to my questions. I knew I didn't bother asking you those deeper questions like I tried the first time around. And then a few months into that process, I, I said to myself, um, well, you know what, maybe I should try the midwife, like just to, you know see if anything could be different and I ended up switching to a midwife and it was a very different experience and it was cool but at the same time I just thought you know whatever I'm not gonna try too hard either because I don't want to get disappointed again in myself or by myself and um and I was warned you know he might come or I didn't know it was a he at the time but that my second baby might come just as fast as my first if not faster so even that I thought well then there's no point you know trying to control anything I just hope I can get to the hospital in time and um with him it was very different my water trickled like when my water broke it was a small trickle I didn't know what it was at first I thought it was pee actually because you know that's common towards the end later pregnancy yeah, yeah. and uh and then it just kept trickling and I realized this isn't pee. And well, and then to give a little more context, we, this was a, almost a month before I was due. It was like three and a half weeks. I had just finished work like the day before and uh, to go on my mat leave. And we tried, we, and the ne very next day we left to go for a, a quick camping trip for like four days or something with the trailer with my one-year-old and my stepson who at the time was, I don't know, 11, 11, 12. And, um, it was, we had just finished setting up the campsite and it was, I had been sort of trickling on and off that day, but I thought it could, I was, it was because I was exerting myself because I was packing for this trip packing and bending and, and stuff. Like, oh yeah. man, I'm peeing more than usual, whatever. And then we, <laughs> and then as we're setting up, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what, what this is. And it was like 11 a.m. or something. And I realized, a p.m. And I realized this, this is, this is my water breaking. And I felt so bad to tell my husband and I said, I think we need to leave. And I said, no, no way. And I had to call the midwife, you know, by then it was like close to midnight. And uh, she's like, oh, you need to get to a hospital now, considering your history. And, right. And, uh, and how far were you away from like oh your birthing we were hospital? Like two and a half hours away from home. Oh, my we were, gosh. I think it was near Lake Huron. Okay. Yeah, we're at Lake Huron. Uh, and uh, so we started panicking. We had to pack everything up and drove home. But we took the long way because we kept we kept trying to drive well we tried to hit all the all the hospitals on the way just in case right i would you know that's the same thing would happen because I, I expected to go into instant labor again so it was a very long drive home we got home at like i don't know three or four in the morning at least we were exhausted wow. and at that point i said well baby's not coming so we all went to bed and in the morning still no baby 
So I called the midwife and I said, well, you know, nothing's happening. And anyways, long story short, I ended up uh, going to the hospital, walking up and down the halls to try to get this baby to come out. I ended up being induced, which was very different from <laughs> from the first I was going to say, after our, after the expectation that it's going to get... Just she, fly out. He's going to come quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, with, so with this one, I ended up being induced. And even that I was scared of because I, my, my sister had had not so great of an experience with induction. And, um, but then they, and I said, well, what about the epidural? And they're like, well, do you want to have it? Do you not want to have it? And I thought maybe this is my chance to have a natural birth, you know, to not do the epidural. And then me and my husband discussed it. And we was like, you know what? I, I decided to take it. Um, and I said, well, when should I take it? And like, well, we can time it with the induction. So as they were cranking up the, um, what's it called? The Pitocin? Pitocin, um, I think. Yeah. So, uh, they timed it. So that way I never felt anything. I didn't feel any of the contractions and, you know, they had the monitors on me. And, and by the time that all happened, like it was like late in the night, me and my husband were watching comedy videos on the iPad and we're laughing and it was a very different experience. And then I was almost falling asleep and it was around one o'clock in the morning, I think. And they came in and said, okay, it's time to push. And I said, okay. And I pushed and he came out with no problems and wow. no, no tearing. Cause I was afraid of having another episiotomy or having episiotomy. A, a tear and it was like no problem. So it was, it was such a great experience. And, uh, and then breastfeeding was also, um, I mean, it was challenging, you know, as it is, but at the same time, I knew what to expect. So I was able to breastfeed him for, you know, almost a year, like, which was my goal with my first baby. Right. Because I knew what to do. And even with that, I went into it saying, well, if it doesn't happen, no pressure, I'll just switch the formula like I did with Amelia. And um, I didn't have to, because I think I knew this time I didn't bother with the pumping. I didn't, I just kept putting him on and it was fine. It worked out. Um, so I think my second my second experience my second birth was very in a way felt redeeming because i felt like okay yes. i'm not so terrible because i managed to have this you know enjoyable experience um but then even after that i realized even further that it wasn't like to a degree it wasn't me either way i you know what i mean like i think we we can do whatever we can to prepare and i think we should um but i feel like I don't know if you don't have your ideal birth, it doesn't mean you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything wrong or it doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Um, but uh, if you do have the birth you want, it doesn't necessarily mean you did something right either. I feel like a lot of it, there's a certain element that's just out of your control. And I think that's really hard. That was hard for me to deal with. And I think that's hard for anyone to deal with um, because you just have to surrender to it to a degree and just, you know, be happy with, with what didn't go right, but don't beat yourself up with about what didn't go right. And that's, I think that's what I want like people to know or women to know, because I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I think as moms, you know, there's that expectation to be like a super mom. And I think that's all bullshit. Sorry, I don't know if I can swear on this. Yeah, you can. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll just it mark it explicit. So there if you young children are watching oh, right. or listening. Yeah. <laughs> Although I don't know if anyone listens to podcasts. I hope they're not listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> they're too young for this. <laughs> at, le- at least if they're listening to the <laughs> to this, put it in your earphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it is. But, I think I think we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I mean, I know you and I have talked about that. And I feel like I'm finally at a place now where, um, you know, uh, you just sort of take things as, as it comes and you do your best. But, you know, um, it can't, nothing is, you can't be perfect. Just like anything, nothing's perfect. So, yeah. And your mm-hmm. youngest is now almost. He's turning three uh, in a few weeks. 
So they're four and almost three, the two little ones. That's right. Um, so uh, things are good. I mean, you know, they're a handful. I mean, there's there's more. There's you know other challenges now because he's he's very rambunctious and she's very sassy and <laughs> smart. They're both. Very I was smart. gonna say that those ages are tough in general, and then yes. you've got two who are kind of close in that age. Yes. Um, and I'm sure they like rile each other up and, you know, get, e- get in each other's way and whatnot. Oh, yeah. The, the competition is fierce between them. If one has a blue cup, the other one has a blue, has a blue cup. And if one has three strawberries, but the other one got two, it's a big problem. So you, ha- you have to be very uh, diplomatic with them. And, uh, but at the same time, they get along great. They, they always have a, a playmate because they're, they're always together. People think they're twins because he's actually catching up to her in height. And it does feel like having twins because they're just, you know, double trouble, man. They're just a handful. <laughs> <laughs> so now, like, it's, the challenges are different. It's, you know, balancing work and them and the household and, you know, um, and your relationship, like your my marriage, right? Like, every, everything's great, but you're trying to allot time to all of those things equally, and it's hard. Um, so that's, like, my current challenge. Um, Let's and, go back to a little bit of, mm-hmm. you know, what you said about your um, – your birth, you know, as you kind of talked about both of them, you mentioned mm-hmm. the word surrender. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very beautiful word because it's essentially what we need to do. Like we need to kind of surrender to our experiences and know that we we don't control it. Like it's not something in our control. So if it doesn't go the way we want, mm-hmm. you know, really removing that self-blame or self-shame because it doesn't mean you did anything wrong Mm -hmm. and you know even as an outside listener listening in about your first experience I can think of a lot of things that may have gone wrong from the system like not from you but like Mm -hmm. the way the system is set up Mm -hmm. so for those of you listening you know who aren't in Canada we we have a public health care system which is fantastic it's one of the best in the world but there is a difference because I've heard from my clients who have who give give birth in the states and it's very different like the ob care is very different you know they will answer every question of yours they will give you that added time because again it's a privatized healthcare system versus here for you know i think that's a big distinction distinction is like here because it's kind of that publicly funded you you get who you get and you don't really have as much choice it's not like you can kind of shop around for providers in the same way and so if you get an ob you know, first of all, they kind of put fear in you. I remember going to my GP and she's like, well, you better get on her list now because she's full. And I was like, oh my God, like I need to get, I need to have a, like an OB or midwife. Like I can't just not have anyone. Mm -hmm. And so right from the beginning, there's just like pressure to like, you know, make sure you get on OB's list or midwife's list. Make sure you get on daycare list. There's just all this pressure to do everything right away. Um, When you're like, I'm not even 12 weeks. I don't even know how this like pregnancy is going to go, right? Mm-hmm. And with your OB, um, you know, not necessarily willing to listen to you and your, you know, requests and your and your needs because ultimately it's your body and your baby and you should have the right to choose mm-hmm. which position you want to deliver in if it's safe. And it is medically safe to um, give birth in different positions other than flat on your back with your legs up. Mm-hmm. But one distinction that I've heard is a lot of OBs aren't trained to catch a baby in that in any other position. Oh, wow. So because their training isn't adequate, then the clients, the moms at risk of more tears, more intervention, because mm-hmm. essentially, you know, if your baby's head gets stuck, if you're in a different position, you might have had that extra 
millimeter, two millimeters of space so your baby mm-hmm. can kind of free up more easily. So mm-hmm. a lot of that is kind of that system. And I think that for anyone listening um, who's had similar experiences to you, that's important to know is mm-hmm. it's not you. Like none of that experience is like your body is perfectly adequate and you're, you did everything, you know, right by what you knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and same with breastfeeding. I had a very similar experience with lactation consultants who – or just in general, unhelpful advice. And then when you get the helpful advice, you're like, oh, like this mm-hmm. is how it's supposed to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and a lot of people are told right away, start pumping as if you have nothing else to do. Like, you know, your, mm-hmm. your day's already so busy. And then now you have to add that to the list. Right. Um, you know, putting the baby on you is often enough if your baby is got a good latch and you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're well fed and nourished. And I think that the bad advice given by other practitioners can be very, um, can hugely affect what your plans are. You know, your plans were to breastfeed and then you weren't able to do it past three weeks because it was overwhelming and it was on top of everything else that you were going through. And I, I've heard this from so many people who then kind of regret it or resent it. And, you know, there's nothing you can do going back. You can't go back in time and change that. But it's just kind of taking that, processing that and knowing that it wasn't you mm-hmm. who couldn't do it or, you know, it's just the way it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the importance of having these conversations so that other people know that where to seek help. So you finally, with your second, did you end up seeing a lactation consultant? No, I saw no one because I, again, I just told myself, I'll, I, you know, I, I know the basics. I remembered it, but I figured um, if it worked, it worked, and if it didn't, didn't. And but with the this time with the the per, um, uh, without using the pump, because I, I, after the fact, like my, one of my friends, my best friends, actually said, um, you know, I never pumped, and I, I think just keep putting the baby on, on the boob. Like that's all it, you need. Like uh, you know, before pumps, how did we do this, right? So, um, and that's what I did, and I just you know, whenever he was hungry, I just, I just put him on there. And, and I, and again, I was overanalyzing it before with my, my first, I thought, oh my gosh, she's already hungry. That must mean she didn't get anything. Yes. Um, so I Which just isn't kept, true. They just yeah. like to feed all the time yeah. when they're first born. That's yeah. it. Right. So yeah. I just kept doing that and it took a while. It still took a while to, I still had to persevere because it took a good two months for me for it to not hurt anymore. Um, right. Um, and even that they said, oh, if it hurts, that means the latch is bad. And it's like, I realized later, no, it hurts because it hurts. It's a sensitive area and they need to, the nipples need to toughen up. So that's another piece that they that's never another piece. Yeah. So, cause when, when people tell me information, I take it to heart. I don't take what I say to my patients lightly. Exactly. I hope that they, you know, um, listen to me. So I listen to the quote unquote experts when they instruct me, I figure they know more than me. Um, so, but that's, those were the two things like, you know, the pain or, or trying to work around that pain, but then also just keep putting them on. You don't need to pump, um, you know, 24 hours a day and, um, and it worked and it was great. Um, so I, you know, when breast, the topic of breastfeeding comes up with others, I try to let them know that stuff. Like just those two pieces that helped me, um, because I don't think yeah, exactly if you're given the wrong info, um, you're kind of led down a path that you know, that you not going to take work out yeah. necessarily. Yeah. yeah. And I think with pumping too, some people do have, let's say issues with milk production, but like all the research sure. shows you put the breast, the baby on the breast and that's 
as long as the baby has a latch, like if you have a really premature child, that may sure. not work. And that's where, you know, the pump comes in handy. Yes. But um, a lot of moms now are being told right away, pump to make sure milk comes in. But it's already putting the woman's body as if she's like a default or not default or she's a problem. Yes. Like she, she's a faulty body and you better pump because if you that's don't, right. you might not get the milk. But it's like, um, right. I'm sorry, ev- evolution's worked pretty well <laughs> so far. And like, let's just trust that the woman's body can do it on that's her, right. like by herself if she's supported through like you know obviously you need nourishment you need food you need hydration you need you know you need if you have a partner you need partner support or you need family support or somebody to help you so you're not doing it all yourself because Mm -hmm. stress alone can also inhibit um, milk production so there's so many things there and I was told my first time same thing it's not supposed to hurt so there was constantly like what am I doing Mm -hmm. wrong Mm -hmm. and you know undiagnosed um, tongue tie and all that stuff which nobody really tells you that you know or they look inside they're like yeah it's fine and you're like okay you're telling me it's fine but it doesn't feel fine Mm -hmm. so it's like trust the woman trust the trust the mother like trust if she's saying it hurts like let's help her find a latch that's less painful Mm -hmm. and same thing with my second time it was way better but Mm -hmm. it still hurts sure and I don't know many women I know like one to be honest who said breastfeeding didn't hurt from the beginning and it like Mm -hmm. felt great. And like every single other person who's persisted through breastfeeding, it did hurt at the beginning. And I think that's something that is so misleading in the, in, you know, when people say it's not supposed to hurt if it's, you know, if it hurts, you're doing it wrong. And it's like, well, (laughs) you know, then the month, then if, then if it hurts, she's, she often like will say, okay, maybe it's not right for me. Right. Versus That's like right. it, yes, it's going to hurt, but it should get better. Yeah. Uh, and how long that is. Like I remember doing a poll on Instagram and some people said it took three months. Some people said, yeah, it's a long you time. know, it took two weeks. Some people said mm-hmm. two, three months. So mm-hmm. it depends on the person. And if you don't have support going through all that, how mm-hmm. are you going to do it? Right. That's right. Um, so there's so many other factors that come into play here that, I think are important conversations to have so people realize it's not just them and their faulty bodies. Their body's perfect, you know? It, it can, it's capable and you're able to do whatever you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how were your recoveries after, like, let's say the first versus the second? Because it seemed like your second labor and birth were a lot smoother mm-hmm. uh, and easier for you. Yeah, so after the first one, um, so because of the episiotomy, um, it was a good two weeks before that intense pain started to settle down. Um, There was a lot of swelling. I had to sit on one of those donuts, you know, those donut pillows. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was trying to, so I had to, you know, and I was doing that while breastfeeding. So every time I had to sit upright with her, that was painful. And And I couldn't master. I feel like she was too young for the sideline position. So that was an added factor. But anyway it was pretty painful. And, um, and, uh, and after that, I, I had troubles with, uh, intimacy. I had troubles with, um, tampon use and, um, and then, uh, but then I got pregnant again. So the, the menstrual part went away, but, um, but yeah, I, I realized that I had, um, things were different down there. Things were lower. Um, and I realized, and I, I saw my pelvic therapist and I was, um, diagnosed with a grade one prolapse and um and I, I don't think it helped that I had two back-to-back pregnancies because you know it's not like things I gave things a chance to kind of yeah. strengthen Heal up or fully, yeah. yeah you know so that um back-to-back I think 
was a factor. Um, but anyway, yeah. So my recovery afterwards, it was slow, but it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Um, but, uh, and then after the second one, um, it was similar. I think it got a little worse and that, and I was able to go back to my pelvic therapist and, you know, we, we worked on, um, strengthening. So it wasn't anything new, but even that, it just felt like such a, a drag, you know, it's like, wow, now I have to do this every day. And it's, and I probably sound like a hypocrite when I, cause I, you know, sign patients exercises all the time, but, um, but there was this resentment because it was something that I had tried to avoid and I couldn't. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's just, just seemed unfair. And, um, you know, I cycled on and off through the exercises and didn't really feel like it helped too much. And, uh, mind you, it was hard to really stay on top of it because at that time I was on mat leave for a year with both babies. They, they were, I was home with both of them for a whole year. So there wasn't much time for That's myself. That's busy. That's yeah. hugely busy. Yeah. Yeah. So one year old and a newborn at the beginning, it was really tough. My mom helped me a lot uh, in the beginning um, and um, and just throughout. But um, I uh, after a while, I thought, because um, then I ended up going back to work um, and that was okay. Um, but I had looked into, well, one of my therapists had mentioned a, a pessary, um, for some support. And at the time I just really did not like the idea of it. You know, I just didn't want to face that. I just didn't want to deal with apparatus, you know, an apparatus, you know, it's just a whole other so level. So for those of, who don't know, can oh, you yes. just describe what a pessary? Yeah. So a pessary is a supportive device that you put inside. Um, and there's various, um, levels of support. So, um, there's a, a ring style. There's a, if, if you have a more severe, I guess, um, prolapse, there's more, uh, there's a cube shaped one. So basically it's just trying to exert some pressure internally to help support your, your uterus and your bladder. Um, and, uh, and I, I avoided it for about a year. And then earlier this, was it this year, the beginning of this year, um, I decided, okay, I think I want to try that as a next step. So I felt ready to like, try this and, and, um, sort of excited to see what it could offer. And I booked in with a pelvic therapist, um, who does pest refittings because not all of them do. It's a very specialized thing. And okay. they gave me a heads up that, um, I will need to have my doctor sign off on her form. Like she, they would need my doctor's authorization before they can dispense a pessary to me. And I thought, okay, well, um, that shouldn't be a problem. And, um, ended up calling him anyway, or maybe I saw him just because, and I kind of told him what I was, what I was planning to do. And he said straight up that he wasn't going to sign anything like that because it was a matter of liability. And what? if anything goes wrong with his pessary, yes, that he, it, it'd be his insurance on the line, not the physio and all this stuff. And I thought, what, what would go wrong with the pessary? I don't know. I don't know. So, <laughs> so I had already made the appointment with the, the, the pelvic therapist and I thought, yeah. I, I want to have my assessment anyway, because maybe I'm not appropriate for one anyway. So I wanted right. to see, and she was excellent. Uh, by the way, she, her name was, I'll plug her. Her name is Cara McDougall. Um, I think she's on a, a leave right now, but she was excellent at, um, gosh, I, I think I saw her at advanced pelvic, um, uh, downtown downtown okay I've yeah. heard of, yeah I will um tag her as well so yeah. just for listeners who are yeah. in, in Toronto she was great um and uh and I asked her can you please like write a letter for me because my GP it sounds like he's not on board but maybe with your letter you know he'll change his mind and I went I booked in with him after the fact she fitted me for one and but she couldn't sell it to me uh without his signature so I went to see him and um 
he again refused and I thought, oh, I'm going to try to educate him because the way he was talking about pessaries and, and prolapse, he didn't really seem to really get it. And because he started saying that, oh, why do you need a pessary? Pessaries are for old ladies who have like extreme prolapse where you know, it's actually the, the, your organs are actually hanging out and you usually need a sur- surgery at that point anyway. And and I said, well, no, prolapse happens, uh, you know, it's all different grades and, and pessaries like, like the, you know, they they come at all different levels of support and why not support a minor prolapse? Why let it pro- progress to the point that you're describing? And then from there right. have surgery. Like, why would I just not try to address it? However, I do can. it preventively, right? Yeah. And he described it as he kind of sloughed it off. He kind of said, well, you know, it's, it's a natural part of aging. It's kind of like, when your skin wrinkles and I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> oh this is my this. gosh. As if he compared skin wrinkling to a pelvic organ prolapse. He did. Like, <laughs> let's step back here and just talk about this nonsense. Yes. So there are many obviously amazing healthcare professionals in every field and there are many terrible ones. Mm-hmm. Like, and I have no problem saying that because a GP is not an expert in pelvic organ prolapse or in pest refitting. Mm-hmm. So you trust who is the expert and you have to outsource that because as a general practitioner, you are a general practitioner. You cannot yes. know everything about everything. And to kind of just slough off a pestry as if it's like a wrinkle cream or like... Or as if, as if it's a, an aesthetic thing. Like he kind of said, well, the only reason why, you know, oh my uh, prolapse would be an issue is like pleasure during sex and even and even when he said that because that that in itself is a valid thing but he almost yeah he he framed it um with respect to the male's uh enjoyment and it's like i'm not doing this for anyone else than me i mean you know there's other reasons too like in terms of really you know intimacy is it for sure it's for both people but the the primary wasn't for anyone else it's for me it's for uh, you it's your body yeah so (laughs) So I thought it was it was very demeaning, and I tried to explain to him my experience, and um, and then I tried to present the letter. She wrote an amazing letter explaining, you know, what pestries do and what what her findings were, and he refused to take it. He's like, no, uh, I know about prolapse already, and if I want to read more about, if I if I want to learn more about it, I can just do some research. So he refused my letter. What I was so angry and I didn't know my in my next step I, I wasn't sure if I should just you know what to say you know when you're just so angry and you but you feel like there's no point like he's basically saying he's made know, up his mind yeah, yeah so was there even yeah. a point um I was so upset um, and again this is like it. Canadian healthcare system in a nutshell because you have these terrible experiences and there's like nothing you can really do about it unless right. you like complain to their college right which takes time takes effort which is like more work for whoever Mm -hmm. the patient is. Mm -hmm. And as you, the patient, like you're not being taken care of and you're being dismissed for a a huge concern for anyone who's had pelvic organ prolapse. Like I have it too. And it is a huge physical, mental, and emotional um, thing. Like it affects your entire life and it can affect your entire life. And Mm -hmm. to have it dismissed as a normal part of aging, yeah. even if let's say it is, doesn't mean you don't, you can't have support through that. That's right. That's <laughs> because right. what you have to just persist and deal with it and feel, yeah, that's that's terrible. So this was how recent was this? This was um, back in March, February, March. I think my okay, yeah. So about and almost six months year. ago. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, so, yeah, I was really disappointed by him. He, he's been my doctor forever. Um, and uh, I've always been very happy with him. And he's, he's, he can be blunt, but overall, he's just very helpful and, and very accurate and, and, and all that. So with this, I was very let down by. And um, anyway, so his, his reasoning was he... he refused to sign off on it because it wasn't his area of expertise and all, but all, and at the same time didn't, didn't wish to learn anything more about it. Right. Um, or and, refer and, you to somebody who. <laughs> yeah. So he ended up referring me to, uh, he said, I can refer you to someone else that can do the fitting. So like a, a urogynecologist. So a, a fit, another physio um, a colleague of mine, she suggested uh, Dr. McDermott down at, I think, was it Mount, Mount Sinai? Um, downtown. Um, and, um, a urogynecologist. So, and I had to wait another month or a month and a half for this appointment. So that in itself, I was upset about because I had finally made this decision to try a pestery and then this roadblock was in my way and had, it was delayed by another month and a half. And I went there and I had to go through wow. her routine and she, she was actually very, she was excellent, but even still, I had to have a cystoscopy and, and then a bladder functional test where they, you know, fill it up and watch it, you know, on the, um, they measure the rate of its, um, you know, emptying. emptying. Um, and she said, it was great. You have a beautiful bladder. I'm like, yeah, great. I know. I, I know I don't have any like, you know, issues. Yeah. Like any medical problems with my actual bladder It's just the support. Right. So in the end they're like, well, do you want us to measure you for the pastry? I'm like, no, I got my letter right here. I know what size I need. I just need to buy it from you. And they sold it to me. Um, she was excellent. She was very supportive of, of, of physiotherapy. Like they were very interested in me when they found that I was a physio, which was like, great. I was almost expecting that, that response from like my OB. She didn't, she didn't give a crap that I was a no. physio or I had any yeah. inter, you know, interest or you know, knowledge. Education in this area. In this area. Yeah. yeah. Was not interested at all. So she was the first one in the last four years, I feel, um, that, uh, other than like fellow physios that seemed to be interested and also really respected what I said and what, what my pelvic th- uh, therapist had written for me. Um, so she was great. I highly recommend her and her team, Colleen, Dr. Colleen McDermott. Um, anyway, so I finally got my hands on this damn pessary and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been helpful. Like it's not, um, I've been, you know, trying to figure out how much I want to use it, but at least now I have it. Like the, the, the point was I, I have that tool in my hands and, um, and then along the way, I was, after all this happened, I thought, you know, cause I talked to my pelvic therapist car and I said, um, you know, I didn't realize you had, to have, you needed a doctor's authorization for dispensing a pessary. And she said, you know, it's, it's not often a problem. Like most doctors just sign off. She said, this is a very rare thing that your doctor refused to refused, do yeah. Refused, like flat out refused. And, um, and I said, screw that, you know, what can I do about this? Like, because I persisted and yes, I jumped through the hoops that he wanted me to go through. He wanted me to go down his, you know, medical training route, which is you've got to see a gynecologist for this, not a pelvic therapist. It's not right. her jurisdiction apparently. Um, and, um, and I thought that's ridiculous. If you, if someone has the training to dispense the pessary, like the, the, the training to fit, fit you for one, why can't they then sell you one? And even the gynecologist said to me when I explained to her what, why I was even there, she said, that's ridiculous. She, and she likened it to like an orthotic, right? Um, 
I was going to say the same thing. I was like, you yeah. don't need like a medical doctor to prescribe you an orthotic, yet insurance companies often need a doctor's signature. Yeah. Even though oftentimes med- like a general practitioner has no idea about it. That's right. But because it's normalized, because yes. it's something that you wear in your shoe and it's not a taboo topic. That's it's right. It's just like, yes, of course you need a $550 orthotic, which That's like right. most people don't need, mm-hmm. versus like a pessary, which is... Like, I didn't know the term until after I had my first. You know, it's not a well-known term. It's not a well-known thing. Even though so many, 50% of vaginal births end up with a prolapse. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's a very common thing. And Mm -hmm. there's varying degrees, of course. And like, how do we not know about this? It's just one of those things that, again, in women's health and maternal health, it's like completely ignored. And Mm -hmm. you have to like you said, jump through hoops to even get it, even yeah. after making the difficult, you know, mental and emotional decision to get one. Mm-hmm. And you are how many years postpartum? So you were about two and a half years postpartum when you finally went down this route. And yeah, I was, uh, yeah, two and a half. Um, so it was delayed because like, again, I just, I didn't want to even go there. I just right. didn't, I didn't like the idea. Like I had, there was an, a bit of an, uh, an aversion because again, it was, it was unfamiliar. Um, and even once I learned about it, I still didn't even know what they looked like or how it would feel. And I just thought, I don't want to even want to think about it. I should just try harder at my exercises. And, um, mm. you know, again, a little bit of that pressure on myself. So, um, um, yeah, so I, I was, and how does it feel? It's like, okay. do you feel it, it when it's it, in? Well, not really. I, I, you can feel a bit of a difference. It doesn't change exactly the prolapse, but it does, it does change it does make intimacy more comfortable it does make jumping or coughing you know a little easier for me because I would you know pee during those things um (laughs) so uh, which also maybe yes something separate right like that could happen even without a prolapse so yes you can be just you know weak or whatever yeah yeah. or or yeah like if you have too much muscle tone in there and then yes and it's it's not uncommon for those with prolapse to have increased muscle tone down there because you're constantly gripping because you're like Mm -hmm. afraid of like this thing coming out of you which then affects incontinence which is like leaking because your muscles can't function optimally if you're always gripping that's right and so this is a very common thing pattern that we see in in people with prolapse Mm -hmm. um i've experienced that personally i've Mm -hmm. seen that in so many of my clients and you can't exercise your way like you don't need a stronger pelvic floor for that and i think that's a common um thing that people feel they feel like oh I'm not strong enough right that's right and Uh, even me I know that stuff but it's still it's so easy to just fall into that you know that thought you know rut yeah (laughs) Um, it is it is it is so anyway so now like now after I've gone through that um I've I even asked my when I was talking to my pelvic therapist about this I said well how can we change this shouldn't pelvic therapists um have the authorization or independence to you know, dispense pessaries. And she's like, I agree. But again, I guess it hadn't been, maybe it's not that big of a deal because again, most GPs just play ball. Um, right. But in the event that they don't, then what? Like you're kind of stuck, then what? you know? And uh, so I've been, you know, and I've been trying to figure out the, like what avenue to take to sort of try to change this or try to start the change. And my first thing was, I thought maybe I can address it with like, you know, my doctor or his association. I tried contacting the OMA and they said, well, if you want to submit a formal complaint, this is how you do it. And I said, I don't know if I want to submit a formal complaint. I wasn't sure how to go about that. Like, I just want, I just want to start the discussion. Like, I just want him to be educated or most more doctors to know about this. Um, especially. And it to be a normalized thing because I think more women would get it. 
and be supported if yeah. it was normalized. Exactly. You know, it was like one of our coworkers, Steph. She called it a sports bra for yes. you know, your, your vagina. And yes. that's when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, like why haven't I thought about it? Because mm-hmm. it's true. Like every single person I know wears a sports bra when they go running or exercising. Like even – That's fine. Yeah, and it's normalized. And you yeah. don't have to, but it's normalized that you wear one for comfort, for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Versus like if you if your, you know, bladder is pressuring down into your vagina Uh or your uterus, like why wouldn't you offer those organs the same support? Um, And actually, I've read some recent evidence that perhaps adding a pessary early on in your recovery can actually help your tissue healing because it prevents your tissues from healing in that lengthened position. And I wish I had known this. Like, could you imagine how helpful this would have been? That would have been great. Instead of just being told, oh, do more Kegels. Like, (laughs) that. you know, that's not going to fix that's right. Literally stretched out tissues. That's right. Um, because it's not just muscles that are stretched. It's all the fascia. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's Ligaments. everything. Yeah. Ligaments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wow, that's, I'm glad that you finally got it. And it's interesting, you know, opening up the conversation of like, mm-hmm. how do we, how do we, first of all, normalize pessaries and mm-hmm. also get pelvic PTs who are authorized to dispense them to just mm-hmm. be first line, you know? And I think a lot of this comes from like those insurance companies needing a doctor's letter for, you know, if you get a massage, oh, well, you better have a doctor's letter for a massage. Right. If you go to physio, you better have a doctor's letter. And like in in Canada, in Ontario especially, like doctors are like the gateway to everything, yes. like your GP, yes. which – um yeah, I don't love that either because a lot of the times they aren't not the experts. And That's right. I remember going to my my GP for I had hurt my knee, fallen off a bike, and landed really hard. And I'm like, I I have this laxity, like I need an MRI. And she's you like, do. Okay, I'll yeah. send you for an X-ray. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I I told her I'm like, it's gonna be useless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have arthritis, but okay. <laughs> she's like, I just have to you know prove that I went through this other route before you know, sending you for an MRI. She's like, I'll put the requisition in, but like, here's the x-ray. You need to also have an ultrasound done. Of course, neither showed anything. But I'm like, and I knew that and she knew that I knew that, but these are the rules that like currently Mm -hmm. exist. Mm -hmm. So, and it's frustrating because as people like you and I, we're physiotherapists, so we know, but how about the lay person who is not in healthcare? Who doesn't know? Yes. And that's, again, and I I think I mentioned this to you before is with the whole experience with my doctor you know, him telling me, don't worry about it. Um, if he had told that to someone who was maybe less educated on this topic, you know, or, um, or just, or maybe there's a language barrier or whatever, right. it might've been like, oh, okay. You know, I guess I shouldn't really be that concerned about what I'm feeling or what, what I'm going through. Um, like my experience, you know, uh, was being diminished. So, um, yeah, and that's what really upset me because I at least I, I I knew what he was what he was saying was BS, and I knew to just push through it and just do what I needed to do to get this pessary. Um, so anyway, so I yeah, so I tried addressing it with the uh, the OMA. I don't think that's the right uh, route. So I Cara actually um, did some research as well, and she suggested I contact the Ontario Physio Association. So I still haven't done that because I just haven't had time with the kids and all that. But that's my ne- my plan. I want to um, advocate or open up this discussion with our association. Um, and I was actually thinking that Dr. McDermott would be an ally because she herself said 
you know, she she didn't understand why that doesn't make sense. Do. Yeah, yeah, couldn't dispense it. Um, so I think she would be an ally uh, as well. And um, I don't know how hard something like this would be, um, but I'm going to try. So that yeah. way, if anyone, you know, tries to go through this again, uh, tries to get a, a pessary and uh, that they're not blocked, you know, that by their GP, because you're right, he it felt like he was my gate, my my keeper or my gatekeeper and he was blocking me. Um, yeah. He was keeping the gates closed for his own opinion, uneducated opinion. And like, again, I can respect people's, you know, education levels, but like I, like, for example, I'm very educated in what I know, but Mm -hmm. if somebody's like, Hey, can you prescribe me this medication? I'm not going to do that. That's not my expertise. Even if I have internal biases that I don't believe that medication will work. Right. I, I can't just be like, nope, don't go see this person because that's it's not right. going to work. That's right. And I think that's the problem is if you're not educated, if you're not the expert, please default to an expert. Like if you're if you're in healthcare listening to this, if you're a GP listening to this, and I think a lot of the times in conversations that I've had is people get defensive like, oh, well, we know a lot. It's like, yeah, no one's discounting what you know, but you mm-hmm. don't know about this leave the experts, figure it out. Mm-hmm. And the problem, I think, when you contact the OP, I think that'll be an interesting discussion because why do you even need a doctor's signature when the pelvic PT is trained, has specialized training in pest mm-hmm. refitting? Mm-hmm. Because your urogynecologist didn't need a GP's signature. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that but it also kind of, st- going back, it's like, you're a busy mom, you've got three kids, you've mm-hmm. got a job. So to expect a client to then jump through all these hoops to finally get it and then have to figure out how to then like contact, you know, make all these changes is mm-hmm. so much work. Was, and yeah. I think people don't, people forget that like women and mothers you go through all this stuff during childbirth and like it's hard work Mm -hmm. but then postpartum there's all of this extra stuff and Mm -hmm. you had mentioned like it doesn't feel fair and it really isn't fair Mm -hmm. that you then have to then sit around doing kegels or like doing these exercises and that's why you know when I run my postpartum return to exercise program I work with my postpartum clients I try to make it as functional and fun Mm -hmm. as possible Mm -hmm. because trust me I did not want to sit lying on my back doing bridges and kegels forever either and we've talked about this before yes. like we we both were the terrible clients who just stopped our exercises because they were boring yes. and not functional and mm-hmm. like how is that going to get you strong enough for even something as simple as coughing which involves a lot of pressure downward that's right a kegel is not going to be enough like you need to strengthen your your core your your glutes your whole le- your whole body so you can mm-hmm. be strong for life and I think that's one area that um, is often missed in postpartum, you know, pelvic PT and rehab is mm-hmm. it's not that full picture of like from postpartum to back to life. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that like from having conversations, you know, with you and people who give up on exercises, you're not bad for doing that. Mm-hmm. You're just a human being. Um, you're not a lazy client or, you know, don't feel that way because it's mm-hmm. it's just it's not meeting your needs, frankly. Exactly. You know, and Yes, thank you. And you know what? Everything that you said, I 100% agree with. All the, all of your posts, um, I really connect with, especially recently. Like just in the last month, I finally started working out regularly again for like two times a week. I've been going uh, to work early and just you know using the gym space. And it's been Amazing. great. And, and it's just been like basics, like doing some elliptical, which is like, you know, I know that's challenging my core and, and gravity, you know, 
uh, dependent position and um, getting my glutes going and then just doing some basic stuff. I, you know, I'm engaging my core here and there, but I'm not overly focused on that right now. Um, but I've already noticed a difference in my, in my wow. symptoms, right? Go figure. Wow. Like when you're yeah. generally stronger, everything gets better. And it's, and even yeah, but repeat that again for people listening. <laughs> when you're generally stronger, your symptoms get better. It's true. It's Stop true. obsessing about your core and your pelvic floor and just it's get true. stronger. It's true. And me, and and that's, you know, as a physio, I, I, I me, myself, like there's physio me and then there's just me, me and me, me, I guess, still forgets those basics. And I know that stuff. But when I guess when it comes to applying it to myself, I don't always make that connection. Yeah. But it's just, yeah. it makes complete sense. And um and it, it's helping. Uh, Good. So yeah. So thank you. <laughs> I'm, ha- I'm happy. Doing. I'm happy you're doing that, and ha- I'm happy my posts helped with that. And I think yeah. that's one message that I strongly believe is you're not like a broken doll, you know, that needs mm-hmm. fixing. Mm-hmm. Because our bodies are so capable and resilient. Like think about all the people who probably gave birth before us who had worse prolapses yes. and worse symptoms, and. In some ways, they probably suffered because they didn't have experts to help them. But in other ways, maybe they were just fine because they just went on with life and got strong because they were lifting and farming right. and doing to, real yeah. life things right. that helped them get stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, back in the day, people probably had more of a village of people helping them. So other moms who probably went through similar things were like, yeah, that's normal for this length of time, then it gets better. So versus mm-hmm. I find now... You know, some people are open to talking about this, but when we talk about things like prolapse or, you know, even Mm -hmm. pain with intimacy or like, you know, uncomfortable or like Mm -hmm. changes, people get sensitive and they don't want to talk about it. Yes. Even though this affects like, I don't know, so many people, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's not something that is rare. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not like wrinkles. Wrinkles are not rare. Everybody gets them. Right. Over time. Some people get them earlier. Some people get them later. But like, we're all happy talking about wrinkle creams. You ask your friend, oh, what cream are you it's using? True. Right? We, we don't have any problem talking about that because that's, that's right. socialized. That's a normal thing to talk about. That's right. And I think that the more we talk about these things like pessaries or prolapse mm-hmm. or even just postpartum realities, mm-hmm. the more we can kind of see that, A, it is challenging, mm-hmm. but also there is like an end to it. And then you you do get to the point where you realize that your body – um is capable and strong and like mm-hmm. you said you've gotten to the point where you've been able to go into work and work out and you're feeling mm-hmm. better yes. and that's only in what two months not even i just i finally got back on track like four weeks ago and four weeks i, I think two weeks in i noticed that um, yeah that that uh, intimacy was much better like it was feeling better um so uh so that was great um so yeah i think it's very important to stay strong that's good. And I think too, like some people, oh, a few of my clients right now who just finished my postpartum return to exercise mm-hmm. program, mm-hmm. they were like 13, 14 months postpartum. And they're like, I wish I did this early postpartum. Like I, you know, I lived with fear. I lived with this shame oh. for like a year. And I'm like, I know, you know, I did too. And mm-hmm. I think that it, it it's never too late to make a change and you can't go back in time. And mm-hmm. so there's no point like living in that like regret or mm-hmm. I wish I did better or knew better because you physically cannot go back and change that mm-hmm. uh, and you did the best with the knowledge that you had at the time and with you know that's all you can do right that's and right. with we sometimes we expect the people around us our OBs or midwives or lactation consultants or nurses or physios to 
um, or doctors, right, to be mm-hmm. the experts who guide us because we we are patients ourselves. Just because we're physios doesn't mean we know everything about this specific thing. That's right. And we need to be able to trust the people around us. And mm-hmm. it's it's I've noticed it's disappointing when you can't trust the expert because you're relying on them for so much mm-hmm. um so what are you what are your plans with your gp i don't know if you've decided well he uh actually uh about a month ago sent out a letter saying that he's retiring <laughs> oh <laughs> right so i guess not you know not that i have to worry about educating him anymore but uh it makes me feel a little better maybe about the whole that he's not doing this to other people <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you know and i don't want to write him off mentally either i mean he's been a really you know uh a great doctor in many other ways over the last I don't know, 30 years at least for me um and uh so i'm trying to you know reconcile with that but um but yeah i do i do plan on again pursuing this with our association and whoever else i can f- uh, find to just make that change it might not be a humongous change but you know again if it can help even one or, one or two other people who uh, are facing facing resistance, similar res- resistance with their GP, then uh, then I'm happy. And you know what? If any of the listeners here, if you're um, if you're a mom with prolapse or who's dealing with this or considering pessaries, you know, and you're listening to this, send send me a message and let me know and let Melissa know, mm-hmm. and maybe you can kind of. Um, or just, you know, even listening to this may be supportive, but let us know your story because I'm really curious to see what you're, what you're experiencing and whether you face the same resistance with your healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. And then if you're a PT listening to this or in, or in the healthcare field, um, let us know if you, too if you have any ideas of like how to go about navigating this and like mm-hmm. the conversations that maybe we can start having around this because it it doesn't just affect you. You're just the only person who's like talking about it right now, right? But like, I'm sure this happens to so many people. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important that you mentioned language barrier. Like we live in Toronto, Mm -hmm. which is very uh, multicultural city, uh, many different languages spoken. And if you're from, if you're a mom, new mom to this country, or a mom who's having a new baby in this country, but but English isn't your first language, or navigating this healthcare system is challenging and intimidating enough, you're not going to advocate for yourself in the same way necessarily. And we need to make it easier for these moms to find support, not put more roadblocks and more barriers and more things in their way. Um, and so this is this is a very, very important conversation. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and with, with your doctor retiring, you know, that also may speak to a little bit of how research and how knowledge has changed since probably when he trained and the importance of ongoing training because he might be a fantastic doctor in treating infections and you know all the regular stuff Mm -hmm. but this is perhaps a bit more specialized and instead of deferring to the specialists because pelvic floor physios weren't a thing maybe they were a thing 30 years ago but they weren't as well known that's right um so we kind of need to get with the times in healthcare too. And same with your OBs, right? Your first OB who was mm-hmm. kind of like, I, I don't, you know, whatever position, this is the position you're doing, you're giving birth in. Cause instead of saying, this is what I'm trained in, mm-hmm. cause that's her problem. Right? Yeah. She was okay. trained in that. Yes. That's not your problem. So I remember thinking like, if I, I didn't have OBs, but if somebody had said that to me, I'd be like, can you get me someone who's trained? <laughs> like, wow. in, put, put it, it back on them. Put it back on them because yeah. honestly, it's not rocket science. Like, <laughs> like it's it's a hole 
your vagina, baby's <laughs> coming out, whatever direction. Yeah. Like, can you not turn your body? Can you not move yeah. your hands? Like, it's you've been through how many years of school? And this is one thing that I've realized is when you're going through school to become an OB, you often see the higher difficulty births, right? And you're not necessarily seeing all the, I don't want to say normal because I don't like using that word, but you're not seeing the, let's say, vaginal births that more common yeah you know don't have complications or don't need extra help but like women give birth in on hands and knees in squats on their Mm -hmm. side and if you've had an epidural you can give birth on your side and you can use uh pillows peanut ball a partner for support holding up your leg and so that is a safe position for most unless Mm -hmm. again there's a medical issue that baby has to come out asap but that's not in most cases like not everything is an emergency Mm -hmm. But women are made to feel like, okay, you need to push this way now because, you know, this is dire. And, you know, how is it possible that like every single woman now is having an emergency birth? Like that can't be, that can't be the case, you know? So yeah, it's just so, so much. I was talking to my midwife about this because she was saying, you know, that because she also works at a hospital because midwives have uh, privileges to work out of a birth center hospital and do home births in Ontario and she says she gets a lot of um what's the word resistance as well with the OBs you know when they're trying different positions it's just the way they're trained and I don't think think it's anything bad on them it's just if that's how you're trained that's what you're going to do because that's what you're going to think is right or Mm -hmm. you know the best way like with purple pushing which is basically breath holding and put bearing down Mm. it increases the risk of tears perhaps maybe even prolapse but you know breathing through is actually more effective because when you're breath holding you actually starve your muscles of oxygen so you're pushing Mm. muscles like your core and you know your uterus needs oxygen so really getting those big deep breaths in is more effective Mm -hmm. um but if you're coached to do that and you're in a very vulnerable state when you're giving birth that's what you're gonna do so yes. I felt like I had no choice you had no choice yeah and I, I I would probably be in the same boat if somebody told me that at that time mm-hmm. um so and tell me a little bit about you now because life is very busy I'm sure <laughs> mm-hmm. um and how are, do you make time for self-care and like how how are you finding the balance now um it is tough um I, uh, well, like I said, I, I finally got back to a, an exercise routine in the last month and that's been great. Um, and I, you know, sort of, uh, managed that with my husband in terms of our schedules. Cause it's all about the morning drop-offs at daycare, like that morning rush. It's a bit of a hassle to, or it's not, it's, it's difficult to get the two dressed and out the door. Um, so, uh, you know, we agreed that I would, you know, if I could leave early two mornings a week that I would do the drop-offs the other three days a week. So, you know, as long as it's, you know, there's some give and take, that's all, that's all that it takes. And uh, so that's been okay. Um, So it is hard. I do find it very hard. I try to carve out little chunks of time whenever I can, even if it's just an hour on a Friday, just to, I don't know, catch up on a show or try to do a little, a little bit of yoga or, or catch up with a friend. Even this, this, talk with you feels like me time because yeah. you know it's it's it, a conver- yeah it's a it's hangout great. yeah so uh it, it's hard um I need to work I need to I think try to fit in a little bit more self-care um yeah that I never thought yeah grocery shopping w- w- by myself is is now considered me time which is <laughs> kind of sad in a way but I, I love it it's great because I can get whatever I need done so uh so just I just try to enjoy those moments too. Um I just, you kind of have to reframe what me time is 
to you. Yes. Yeah. Right. I think there's a lot of like, it's funny because now we're talking about self-care a lot and then there's mm-hmm. this like huge switch, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, a shower isn't self-care. You know, yes. you don't have to go to the spa for self-care. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, you know, chores aren't self-care, but at the same time, you can make self-care whatever it is for you. Yes. If it helps you feel good and yes. feel like your cup is more full, then great. And like, I always like to think about like, okay, what really makes me happy? Like, what are some mm-hmm. of the things that like bring me joy? Mm-hmm. And like, that's my self-care, right? Yes. So it's like, you know, yeah, having a conversation with a friend, like I always feel good afterwards. And yes. even if that's not like time to myself meditating, it's still like meditative in some ways because it's filling my cup. Mm-hmm. And grocery shopping from by myself I haven't done that yet but you're right I I find just driving in the car by myself I'm like blasting my music yeah my music and like hanging out is like it's nice and I don't think it has to be a big you know outing or a big thing exactly um it can be these little things that you do every few days or every day Mm -hmm. you know are there you know as this kind of as we wrap up our conversation and Mm -hmm. move towards, uh, you know, some of the final thoughts, I have some questions for you. And one of the questions is, you know, what are three things you try to do for yourself every day? Mm -hmm. Um, Small, small things, big things. I, uh, this gonna sound vain. I always try to make sure like my, my skincare, it just makes me feel good at the end of the day, no matter how busy or stressful day is, if I can still just, you know, wash my face, moisturize. I just feel like I'm doing something for myself. So I, yeah. I always do that no matter what. <laughs> That's um, good. What else do I do? Uh, I'm trying to get back into journaling. I used to be really good with that because I just found just reflecting on things, even even if it's not every day. Um, I've missed out on that. Like that's really went out the window the last few years. Um, so I'm trying to bring that back now. And that's been that's been great. And then the third thing that I want to start getting to regularly, and I you mentioned the intro, is piano. I I haven't been able to play piano regularly because we don't have room for a proper piano here and I have just a small dinky keyboard but anyway once the basement is finished my plan is to get a proper keyboard um, and just play I used to play every day um, when I was living at home with my parents um, and I missed that and you used to be an instructor too right or are you yeah yeah I taught for a couple years and then over the past couple years I I did play with my stepson's um, school's choir for a couple of performances and that was great but it's been a while since it's been at least two years so I really miss that and I think I don't think I realized it at the time when I was younger but that was like therapeutic for me if I was happy I'd play you know happy songs I was upset I'd just play other songs that you know were cathartic you know so um, my plan is to get that going by the end of this year because I I really do miss it and it's important you know I've been sloughing it off because I said oh I have more important things to worry about but it's I'm important too. And, and if I'm not happy, I can't, you know, be there for my kids as, as well as I could be. So, um, so yeah, that's in the works. That will be amazing. Cause yeah. you are very talented. Oh, thank you. And, um, <laughs> I think it's also important for your kids to see your talent and your passion, mm. even if they have no interest in it, because right. I think that it just kind of reminds them at like that you're, you're important and you're a person too right it's not all about them it's not their show that's right um it's true right because we we they think they're the center of the universe like yes because that's what kids think and it's important for them to see like their parents are also people and have their own needs Mm -hmm. um do you have any favorite books or podcasts that uh you like to listen to or read i don't know if i have any favorite books but a book that i'm really enjoying um 
is a cookbook. <laughs> it's oh. actually it's actually called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat um, by Samin Nosrat. She actually also has a four-part special on Netflix. I've One, seen that. I was like, that sounds familiar. Yeah. She, I love her. And the book, I'm still only on, like I've only gotten through salt and I think halfway through fat. <laughs> but even just the salt chapter has explained why certain things that I make don't always turn out the way or why my mom's recipes never have that exact same magic when I make them. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the seasoning. So it's just, it's helping me understand the actual elements uh, of cooking. And and that is already making me a better cook. So I just, I, I love getting to the bottom of things and understanding why things work. Because then once you understand, then, then the sky's the limit. You can make stuff up as you go. Um, nice. So I'm really enjoying that. And Melissa, what is, what's something that you've been into lately that you're passionate about? With, with all of the, um, uh, residential schools, um, all, all the findings of, of the bodies lately, um, recently, um, just how that's been in the, into the forefront, um, more now I'm just, you know, trying to have more conversations about that and, and trying to figure out what I can do to help the cause. I, one of my patients works with indigenous peoples and I've been picking his brain and we've been talking about the system and how it's just not designed, you know, for it, just the construct is very different from, from indigenous peoples, I guess, um, societies. And, you know, I'm just trying to be more aware of that and, and how can I help and feeling a little, I don't know, um, jaded with the, the, the government and, you know, trying to figure out, is there a way I can bypass that? Is there a grassroots way that I can sort of get involved? So I'm just trying to, um, a lot sometime that way mentally some, some mental effort and just trying to I, I want to contribute in some way so I and and I've been having conversations with my husband about it as well and um I just want to I just want to get more involved with that because I feel like that's a real it's a very dire situation and you know I have the privilege of you know focusing on my health and my my and my my work-life balance but a lot of people don't so I'm just trying to recognize that privilege and just I don't know somehow contribute to it in some way so I'll, I'll get back to you on that I don't know I don't know how but I'm that's just been more of a recent uh, uh, endeavor nice and yeah. I think that's that's wonderful and I think you know starting to think about that is huge mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. then you can start to incorporate it in part of your life and you know help out mm-hmm. um, that's something that I've definitely been thinking about as well and one mm-hmm. thing that I like to do is like each month I'll purchase uh, you know, a product or service from um, like a different black indigenous or uh, people of color company. So it's like local uh, artists or like I bought artwork from an indigenous indigenous artist oh, nice. um, in Ontario. Idea. And that was like a small way that I can, you know, contribute. directly contribute to mm-hmm. um, to their work versus like, you know, buying something on like Indigo or whatever, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's just like, I'm trying to discover local businesses. They don't even have to be local, but ideally, you know, it is more in my community um, where I can kind of provide that um, a little bit more, you know, financial support as well. Um, So that's a good idea. Thank you. You're welcome. And so Melissa, how can listeners reach you? Do you have um, an email, Instagram, uh, so I don't have a professional Instagram account yet. I, I, I need to do that. I was supposed to do that before this podcast and I, I want to do it soon. Uh, but that's okay. My, when you my, figure it out, I'll put it in the oh, show notes so people oh, can thanks. find you. 
Yeah. Uh, well, my email address uh, for work is uh, my name. So Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot my last name, V is in Victor, E-N-T-U-R-U-Z-Z-O at yahoo.ca. Um, I'm currently working at uh, a clinic called Physio First at Bloor and Islington in Etobicoke. So I'm there. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I hope to create a, an Instagram account professionally and or a website uh, in the next month or so. Just nice. as a way for people to find me independently. Nice. Yeah. Amazing. I And whenever you figure, figure that out, I will. Um, I can update the show notes. Great. And lastly, what yeah. would you say is your mom's strength? I think, I think it's my sense of humor with the kids. I feel, I feel like I've lost, sometimes I lose that because I'm so tired or I don't have the energy to, you know, entertain them uh, in the ways that I want to. But I know with my stepson, when we were, you know, with, with, with our relationship, with relationship in the beginning, um, you know, we always had a ton of fun together and I would create little voices with the, the, you know, the characters or like the, the figurines that we had. And he loved that. Like I would just make yeah. up random stuff, you know, r- random scenarios. And he thought it was the, the best thing ever. And I thought, okay, he's like really easy to entertain, I guess. But, um, looking back, I can, you know, it's more about like the energy that you, I was putting into it. I think he appreciated that. And I think I've lost some of that, um, along the way. So I'm, I'm trying to bring that back in or just, you know, putting a little more focus on that. Like the, my kids, especially the younger one, you know, they, they want that. All they want is that connection. When they, when they come home from daycare, all they want to do is tell me about this and that, and they want my attention. Um, so I, and I think I'm good at that when I, when I have the energy to do so, I think I'm really good with that stuff. So I'm just trying to focus more on that with them. Nice. That sounds awesome. I think that's, um, comes natural, more natural to some people and more effortful for some people to like, you know, be fun and put on those voices (laughs) and kind of show, show up with that energy. And I think it's hard to do that all the time, especially when you have a job yourself that you work with people and you, you do expend energy socially that way too so yeah i think that's awesome so thank you so much Mm -hmm. melissa for spending your time with us today and sharing your story and like really this was a real honest conversation that i think a lot of people will appreciate my pleasure so if you're a listener and you're listening to this please let me know uh send you know take a screenshot as you're listening to this post it on instagram if you're on instagram or send me an email send me a dm and let me know uh what you think and i will share melissa's information as well so you can connect with her. Excellent. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.